Oh, my word. Oh. Well, good morning and welcome. I'm so excited that you're here today. My name, again, is Pastor Spencer, uh, and I am the high school pastor here at Central. I love working with our high school students, so shout out to any high schoolers in the room. Where are my high schoolers at? There's, all right, yes, of course, they're in the very back hiding. Yes, play into your stereotype. I love you. Uh, I love being able to do that. My wife and I, we uh, love living in Holland. We've lived here for just over three years um, and we just, my, some of you might know my wife. Her name is Brooke, and she is on the worship team here every so often. And my little baby, oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, she, she would appreciate that, sure, yeah. Um, but we have a 16-month-old little one, so we're newer-ish parents, and we have been loving, loving her personality coming out. Uh, we able, we're able to sleep a little bit more. She sleeps through the night. That's so much fun. But uh, just a little bit about myself. I love being outdoors. I love being around people for my Enneagram types. I am a seven wing six. I am highly emotional. I am highly energetic. And I'm highly distractible. So that's perfect to be up here. Uh, so that being said, I, I will say I was not allowed to drink caffeine starting yesterday evening. I have nothing today. Uh, I, I want to make sure you can understand the words that are coming out of my mouth. So I want to make sure that is all there. I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. I love J.R.R. Tolkien's work, and I love the Bible. So this is all important. It's a great recipe, and I am so excited to be launching this series with all of you. One thing I was doing as I was preparing this morning is I was scouring the texts in the Bible about different passages and references that talked about fishing or boating or being on the water. But as I was looking up different fishing passages, because we're on a new series called Hooked, right, being hooked on Jesus, I have to be honest. I know nothing about fishing absolutely nothing about fishing. In fact, I look at this fish over here, and I will tell you, that's a pointy fish. That is my knowledge of fishing. That's a pointy fish. That's all I know. And so, it's a sword. It is a swordfish-ish. I don't know those things. I'm just going to keep calling pointy fish, because I'm, I'm scared of it. And so, that being said, I feel like for many of us, we're like, oh, yeah, I want to dive in. I want to be hooked on Jesus. I want to I be fishers of men, as Jesus said it. I want to go out and save the world and get a big catch for Jesus. Slow down. We're going to slow down just for a little bit. Because in order to get a big catch like that, we have to know how to be on a boat. And so this morning, I want us to gather our sea legs. And I want us to talk about some boating safety advice. All right? Because I believe that if we are to view boating in our life as an analogy to say, man, to be on a boat is to be in community, whether that's here at our church, with your family, your friends, your workplace, whatever that boat looks like for you, we have all realized it takes a lot of work. I recently became a boat owner myself. We lived in Holland. We're like, oh my word. And I'm going to say this, um, where are my boat owners, can you show yourselves? Really fast? Where are my boat owners in the room? Okay, I'm going to speak directly to you for a second here. Um, why is it that whenever you advertise that you have a boat, it looks like it's so easy, it looks so fun, it looks so great. So I'm going to call foul on that play because we got a boat and we were out on the boat and my wife and I, we bought it last August and we're, we took our maiden voyage in May and it was my wife and I and we took Brad Lamp because it was smart to take an experienced boater out. And we're out on, we get on Lake Makatawa and we're like, wow, 
Holland has so much to offer. This is so beautiful. We're going out, having a great time. And, and then after, like, we're going through, I'm like, okay, we don't have any problems. Then I realized that Brad Lamp was essentially a third wheel on my wife and I's date, whatever. But so we're going along, and, and we get out on the canal and, and, and the channel, and, and we're getting through. And, and then we're like, wow, we're almost to Lake Michigan. And we get on Lake Michigan, we get to that no wake, and we just gun it. And as I gun it, my boat makes this noise that sounds like a gurgle, and it's like, boom, 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 boom. And it, I'm like, well, I'm like, this doesn't sound good. So I did what every person should do. I give it more gas because that's the problem. We'll just power through it. And we're powering through it. And then we get it. We're, but here's the problem. We're going further out from shore. And then the engine just dies. Here's the thing. I'm a pastor. I know how to do a funeral, but not for a boat. And so I'm just sitting there. I'm like, okay. I don't know what to do here. So, so we're trying to get the engine going. And, and Brad Lamp looks over. He goes, I think it's the engine. I did too. I, I did too. It wasn't turning over. And luckily, we were able to get it start to start up one more time. And we're just like, you know what, just full throttle back to the canal. And so we get back into the canal. And that's where it finally had its final resting place, RIP boat. And it, and it died in the canal. And some good Samaritan came along, towed us along to the nearest dock. And and I realized something as I was being towed, that boating, like our relationships, takes way more work than what we first realize. And being in a, if you've been in a church for longer than a year, you realize that fostering relationships with other people and learning how to navigate tough times with other people is difficult. It takes more work than we realize. So this morning... This sermon is going to act as our Christian boater's safety. And I'm going to walk us through some different areas that I believe can be great learning points, disclaimer, for our Christian faith. Please do not use the advice I am giving you on an actual boat. Okay, I want to make sure people don't sue me after this. But that being said, lesson number one, good boating starts with planning ahead. Good boating starts with planning ahead. Ahead. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to open up to the book of Acts, chapter 27. And we're going to start in verse 9. So Acts, chapter 27, verse 9. If you have your Bible app on your phone, open that up. If you have a physical Bible, like I love that, open that up to Acts 27, 9 through 12. And let me set the stage for where we are about to drop in. We start, if you notice in your Bible, there's not a, left, a lot left in the book of Acts at this point. There's one chapter left. The, uh, the journeys of the Apostle Paul are coming to a close, but Paul finds himself in an interesting spot. Paul has found himself, he was accused of a few things back in Jerusalem, and, and he was going to a court case back there, but he felt like the courts were going to be biased. And so what you're able to do in those days, as a Roman citizen, you were able to say, I want my court case to be heard and trial heard by Caesar. You could invoke a trial by Caesar. And so that's what he did, because he felt like that's not going to be biased. And so what happens is he was assigned a Roman centurion by the name of Julius, a Roman guard escort to protect him and to guide him and make sure he gets there. But also, he could take some friends and, and, and that could journey along with him. So Luke, who wrote this book, he's with him, and he's recording this journey. And in order to go from Jerusalem to Rome, the fastest way was sea travel. And they're going from boat to boat to boat until finally they just reach one boat, and they're like, hey, listen, get on this boat. It'll sail all the way to Rome. It was a grain ship. It was larger. 
And so he said, yeah, the, the, great, we'll hop on. So they're on this boat, they're in the middle of a journey, but they have lost some time, and they're in a bit of a hurry to get there on time. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to read uh, Acts 27, starting in verse 9. It says this, it says, much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous because it was now after the fast. So Paul warned them, men, I can see that on our voyage it's going to be dangerous and bring great loss to our ship and cargo and even our own lives. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbor was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on hoping to, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbor in Crete facing both the southwest and northwest. And if we're going to start this morning by understanding that good boating starts with planning ahead, I think that we have to realize that in this passage we find that there are two schools of thought regarding opportunity in our lives. The first school of thought is that of like Paul. And Paul, he looks ahead where in the room are, I, I, I like to identify people, where are my planners and my detail-oriented people in the room? Thank Jesus for you. Thank the Lord. Be, my wife is built this way. I am not. It's kind of why I married her. I want my life to be organized. But, but we need planners, and planners look ahead to determine what they're going to do. They plan ahead. It's that simple. Now, for the other side of the room, this is going to be, honestly, disclaimer, this is how I operate in my life. Uh, I'm not going to say we're irresponsible. What I'm going to say is, where are my opportunists? Where are my people who will just, they see a moment and they, they seize it? All right. These are the fun people. Okay. Sorry. Not the fun people because the first group, my wife would be mad. So these are uh, also really great people. Uh, these are my opportunists. These are people who see an opportunity and the window opens and they pounce on it. And so in this room, in our story, the majority of people on the boat are acting as opportunists. They jump on the first opportunity because Paul's saying, listen, because of the season that we're in, there are storms. They're not coming. They're inevitable. They are on the way. Storms are coming. He's planning ahead. Everyone else on the boat, they were looking around, and they said, well, no, 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 no. There's clear skies. This looks good. Let's go. Early on in my marriage, my wife and I got married in 2016, and I grew up in Port Huron, Michigan, so the Michigander thing to do. I grew up in the knuckle of the fun, everybody. So I grew up in the knuckle. And one fun thing about uh, where I grew up is that we had this event called the float down. And in the float down, all of the Great Lakes that touch Michigan, right, we have Superior, well, most of them, you got Michigan, Superior, and Huron, they flow through the St. Clair River. And it's this beautiful river, and it, on one side is Michigan, the U.S., and Go Blue. And on the other side, you have Canada, right? Land of A, Mooses, and Tim Hortons. And so we have this wonderful divide between us. And, and so in the midst of this, I was like, listen, let's go on this, this float down. You'll love it. We've done this every year. And so I took her out after we got married, and there was a group, there was about 10,000 people who did this float down. And what we do is we tie all these rafts together, and you float down with your friends like 7 to 10 miles. It's really lazy and really fun. It was beautiful, sun, sunny skies, you know, the, it was hot, it was beautiful, not a cloud in the sky. We're starting the journey, 
And after about two miles, we're well into the St. Clair River at this point. And then it happens. There was a massive windstorm that came up, and it blew 1,500 Americans into Canada, like right under their shoreline, and they couldn't get back. In fact, I think we have some of the photos from it, because this is how they viewed it. The American invasion of the Canadian waters. Guys, we're taking Canada back. So we did this, and in, in like, I think in the next photo, um, we ended up seeing, they like deported us in these big buses, and they had the cops involved. They actually billed us $50,000. They're like, hey, you got to pay us back there, eh? I'm like, all right, fine. Like, we, we'll watch hockey. Does that count? And, and so they ended up taking people across the bridge. And in the moments of all of this, we realized something. We were caught in the midst of not looking ahead. We weren't planning. We were just enjoying the moment. And I think what, how many of us this morning, because of the circumstances around us, maybe if you... You, you feel like you're in a, in, a, in a tough spot and you got to make decisions you normally wouldn't make because the circumstances around you make you feel like you've been missing out on a lot. Maybe you feel hurried or behind on schedule. And it's in moments like that that we often make decisions that are more impromptu and impulsive. And I, and I wonder for how many of us, when we do those things, we realize that we're caught not looking ahead, just looking around. And I think a lot of us are just looking around and not looking ahead. Culturally, there is a storm brewing. I don't think it's a surprise to anyone if I were to say that. There is a storm brewing culturally. And I think that if we're going to say, hey, listen, we want to happen to our culture and we don't want culture to happen to us, that's going to take us planning ahead, being strategic in the ways that we live our lives on this boat. And I think if we're going to do that, we will have to look ar- not just around, but also ahead. Well, I am a firm believer, even if we are planning ahead, that's a great lesson to learn. But I work in student ministries, and one of the greatest ways that we learn are watching high schoolers make mistakes. Because for some reason, they feel prone to it. I don't know. There's parents in the room that can resonate. I don't know. But in the midst of all of that, we're going to watch some more mistakes play out in real time in this story. So we're going to read on. If you have your Bibles, we're going to read Acts 27. We're going to read verses 15 through 26. And it just says this. It says, The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind. So we gave way to it, and we were driven along. As we passed the lee of a small island called Caudia, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. When the men had hoisted it aboard, they ended up passing ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. Fearing that it would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor to be dry and were driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storms that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither the sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued to rage, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After the men had gone out a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have been spared yourselves and damage, uh, from this loss and damage. But I urge you now, to keep your, up your courage, because not one of you will be lost. 
Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before uh, Caesar in trial. And God has graciously given you the lives of all of those who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. And this brings us to our second voter advice this morning. During storms, your faith becomes a lighthouse for others. I love Paul's response here in the midst of what is happening. Like, I don't know, and I'm going to do this more as a disclaimer to say, don't do this when you, if you're going to start out an argument. Paul is recognizing what's going on. The storm is so violent that they think the, the ship is going to fall apart. They're tying the ship together using ropes, and everything's falling apart. You have the waves that are battering against, the wind is howling, and everyone loses hope. They can't see the stars. They can't navigate through the, through the waters. And Paul kind of stands up before him and says, everyone, and everyone kind of gathers to him. And his first piece of advice, the first words out of his mouth were, I told you so. I told you so. Parents, I know you want to do that so badly with some of your students, but just hold on for a second. Like, yeah, Paul did this, right? Paul did this. But even so, he uses that and he does shift gear. He shifts gear, and he starts get offering and giving them hope. And I think that's where my mind is drawn towards. It's that hope. And Paul says, listen, an angel came to me, and he says that God has given everyone's life on this boat to me, and not a single one of you will be lost. And I wonder for how many of us this morning, if we started to realize and understand and take the weight and the gravity that there is a storm raging around us, how many of us would change perspective that we would say, listen, there are a lot of people who need hope. There are a lot of people suffering from anxiety and depression and hopelessness. In student ministries, this is probably one of the biggest things that we wrestle with. The amount of students right now that are dealing with crippling depression, anxiety, and no hope has gone up exponentially. They say by the year 2030, if the mental health field does not grow, by 35%, the amount of depression, anxiety, and loss of life amongst young people will be on numbers we've never seen before. There is no hope unless we realize the power of our faith. Unless we realize that, and some of you don't know this yet, but I'm going to tell you that you don't realize how powerful your faith is to those people around you. Some of you feel like because you being here right now and you feel like your family is hanging on by the last bit of thread, you're just throwing ropes around the boat of your family and you're just holding it together. Like It matters that you're here right now because they need hope and you need hope. And this is a place where we can be lighthouses to one another. And so what would happen, what would happen if we took the mantle of responsibility that God maybe has strategically placed people in your life right now for you to be able to offer hope to them? Some of you hear that and you're like, that's great, but like, I'm going to leave that to professional Christians, right? I'm going to leave that to the person with the Bible degree or the mental health degree or, or whatever it is. I'm going to leave that to them. No, no, no. I want you to take, change your perspective because I watch students on a weekly basis, act as a lighthouse for one another. One of the most powerful examples 
I remember years ago, uh, I did a youth trip with a group of students, and we went to Glendo, Wyoming, because we went to this dude ranch out in the middle of nowhere, and it was, it was such a fun trip. And one of the activities that we would do is that we would go out and we would climb Laramie's Peak. And Laramie's Peak was a mountain. It was a lone mountain range, and it was about 10,000 feet to the top. And we'd take this group of students, and we'd climb up. And when we went on this particular year, we had a student by the name of Carly. And Carly is a student that she just had, like, an infectious smile. She was that student that, like, when she starts smiling and laughing, everyone around would just start kind of smiling and laughing. You know, you know those people? You know, they're just infectious with their, with their, with their just the joy that they have inside them. Well, Carly's on this trip, and I remember we loaded up to go towards this mountain, and we're, we, we at, get to the base of the mountain, and we're like, okay, guys, everybody get in groups of four. You know, you have five hours to climb up it, and you have four and a half hours to come back down. And so everyone's getting in their groups, getting ready to go up the mountain. Um, and I just noticed, I looked over, and I noticed that Carly, she didn't have her smile. Carly had lost a lot of that joy, and that's because for Carly, uh, she suffered from a severe case of cerebral palsy, and she was in a wheelchair. And she's looking at this mountain, and she's looking at all these other kids, like, having so much fun, like, getting together with their group. And I just remember, like, watching Carly, like, lose hope. And I love student ministries because it wasn't two minutes that went by, and I saw a group of four guys, the two young adults and two high schoolers, they run up to Carly, and they can see Carly's got some tears coming down her face. And I'm like, I didn't really know what to do. I was like, well, maybe I'll just hang out. And they come to, hey, Carly. Yeah? You want to go up that mountain? Oh, yeah. All right, let's go. And without even asking, I'm like, I don't know. They, like, picked her up, and they're like, let's go, Carly. And they, like, they, these four guys carried Carly all the way up that mountain. It was awesome. Yeah, amen, praise God. Like, thank you for high schoolers who, and young adults who just have, end, you know, endless stamina for some reason. And they go up there, and they were so fast. Like, I was like, oh, that's so beautiful. Maybe they'll just make it a little bit ways up. I kept, like, I went up the mountain, and I was like, where are they? Where? They were, like, one of the first groups up there. And when we were up there, we had a moment where we all got to pray. We're like, you know, and we just took a moment where we just, like, kind of just worshiped God on top of this mountain. I remember looking over at Carly. And realizing how impactful and important it was for her that other people help offer hope and life and encouragement for her. So I don't know who's in your life right now, but don't disqualify yourself to say, I'm not qualified to be a lighthouse for other people. I knew those students, but guess what? They stepped up and helped. They stood up and God was able to use them. And I promise that God can use you. Because I think that there's going to be something that like catches us, that like snags us up a little bit in, in working on a boat with other people. I actually don't think it's going to be help us offering other people hope. I actually think there's one thing that we all need to be probably being aware of when we're working with other people and in the boat of the church or in our relationships with other people. And it's this. if We're going to read on Acts 27 through 36. And I believe that this is going to highlight one of the biggest downfalls of being on a boat with other people. And it says this, verses 30 through 36. It says, in an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending that they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. And then Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay, you cannot be saved. 
So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat, and they let it fall away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from their head. After he said this, he took some of the bread and he gave thanks to God in front of all of them. And then he broke it and he began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some of the food for themselves. You will never get to where God is trying to lead you unless you cut the rowboat. I'm going to call it a rowboat, not a lifeboat, because the lives that really mattered were on the boat, but they were trying to lower the lifeboat so they could save themselves. No, the lives that mattered were on the boat, so they were just going to use a rowboat to get away. Guys, uh, church, this morning, unless we, and this is a really difficult thing to ask, but listen, how many times in relationships when you know that you have an easy out, do we stop fighting and we just bail because we know it's easier to go? And some of you might be in a place right now where you're thinking, listen, I, I, have, a, I have a way out, but, but, but I'm still invested now. When you know that you have an out, everyone else knows it. Because you will never be as fully invested as you need to be if you know, oh, if it's bad, I'm good, I'm out, bye. And I wonder how many places in our lives right now do we have an easy out and we know, hey, things are bad, but like it's, I'm in a storm, but at least I'll be saved. I can go. I don't know where you're at this morning with that, but can I tell you right now, Paul looked at this. And he looked at these people and he says, listen, I know in the midst of everything that you're doing, what would happen if right now you cut loose that rowboat, that lifeboat, and you fully invested to where God has you and into the people that God has you near? Because Paul recognized that the people leave needing to, 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 to be there, the ones who's, like the sailors were the people that needed to be on the boat for everyone to be alive. He literally says, if they leave, none of us will live. They have to be here, please. And he's pleading with them to stay. In the midst of this, I remember we went down recently to Florida and we were asking some churches down there saying, listen, how do you operate with volunteers in your student ministries who say, hey, listen, uh, when they come up and they ask, hey, um, can I not be there tonight? Like I, I just had some stuff I wanted to catch up on. Can I not be there tonight? And he goes, oh, I'm, I'm glad you're asking this question because we, we just revamped our response to this. He goes, when we have a leader that comes up and says, hey, listen, I'm not going to be there tonight. i got a couple other things I'm going to be doing. Um, he goes, we just look at him and say, no. I'm a people pleaser, so immediately I'm like, oh, confrontation. Like, I hated that. I hated that answer. I hated it with everything in me. I'm like, what? And he goes, okay, we say no, but then we follow it up with this. We say no because you being there matters. You being here has an eternal significance. So when you're not here, other people feel it. And so this morning, I want to just take a second 
and just tell some of the people who here that maybe need this, or maybe you're watching online, but, but maybe you need to hear this. Maybe you've been serving in church. Maybe you've been attending church, and, and things are really difficult right now. You are in a brutal storm, and you haven't heard anyone say that it matters that you're here. So let me say it to you right now. You being here and investing in your faith and in your family matters. You being here, and maybe you serve in Central, uh, Central Kids or in our student ministries or in our young adults or Celebrate Recovery, you serving there and being there matters because God is trying to say, listen, I need you to be a lighthouse for the others around you. I need you to cut the lifeboat because I need you there. I've placed you there. Can you be there for others? And a lot of us don't want to, we, we, we kind of fold under that pressure. I want to ask you this morning to be bold and to stand under it because there are so many people around us who are in a raging storm who need us this morning, who need us this morning. And so once we've learned to, to invest and go all out and all in, I want to say this. The second piece that we can learn from this is that I want you to greet panic with grace. I want you to meet panic with grace. This story is telling in, in this very moment, these sailors, everybody on the boat knows that they were trying to leave them and abandon them to, for them all to die. Everyone knows that. They were panicking. And yet, Paul greets them with grace. There are a lot of people that need to know this, that when you are on a boat and panic is setting in, the best remedy is grace. There are people in this church that don't need to be scorned. I think there are people in the church that need your encouragement and direction more than they need rebuke or abandonment. We all make mistakes and we all need grace. So in the midst of our panic or when we're witnessing other people panic around us, don't rebuke them. Don't push them away. Offer them hope. Offer them encouragement. Be there for them. Because Paul looks at this and he, and he doesn't meet panic with hostility. He instead steps into them and says, listen, those on the ship and those around us need encouragement in this moment. And maybe for them, they received an encouraging word that made them feel loved and a peace that transcended all understanding. There's a thing that they talk about in student ministries now, and, they, and this is horrifying, to, like, stat, and they go, listen, in student ministries, um, we've realized that the, the students that you have, they'll actually probably never remember a single sermon that you've ever given in, like, 10 years. I'm like, please don't fire me, right? Like, I don't know what to say to that. But they go, but every single one of these students will remember the way that you made them feel in the moments of their darkness. That's a, that's a lot of weight to carry. But as we hear that, I think for us, how many of us have greeted other people who are panicking, who are in dire need of help with hostility? We can switch that, shift that to grace and love in the midst of what they're going through. And once we do that, Paul gives them that, and then Paul gives them one final touch. And I love this. Maybe I love this because I'm a new dad or because I'm a student ministry pastor and I feel, feel like this is theological. When people are angry, give them food. Give them food that's spiritual. Some of you have teenagers. You're like, if I gave them all the food that they wanted to eat, I would be broke. Right? Like, like you guys are in a bottomless pit. But in the moment of this, Paul's recognizing that these people are so upset. They're so angry. And he's like, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Uh, food. Eat all the food. And they did. They just started eating. But it's the way that Luke records this that intrigues me. Because the way that he writes these words, 
it mirrors another scenario in Scripture. He says that Paul, in the midst of this raging storm, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke the bread. I immediately think of Jesus the night before his crucifixion. We're gathered around friends in the midst of his raging storm of betrayal. He took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it. I think we should all remember that in the midst of a storm, that your faith, that communion and community matter more than we could ever realize. And for us, that it establishes a, a, a common bond. And so on the boat, people are finally together, right? Paul has given them a word of encouragement. He's offered them grace. He's given them food. There's finally a sense of unity on the boat. And, and in the midst of all of this, everyone's kind of on, this, on board and, and like, okay, Paul, what do we do next? And finally, that's when Paul says, all right, we're all going to jump in and go to that island right there. Everybody, every man for themselves, grab a board, jump in. And so they bail. They, they abandon ship. But here's what's crazy. All 276 people on board, every single one of them makes it to shore. And they're on shore at this island called Malta that's in the middle of the ocean of the Mediterranean. And, and while they're there, Paul begins to start doing ministry. And he's ministering and, he, and he's helping bring, you know, salvation to these people. But in the midst of this, it brings us a great point. That God can use a storm to bring you to a Malta moment. And I'll show you what this means. Uh, the last passage we're going to read this morning is Acts 28, 7 through 9. And it just says this. Acts 28, 7 through 9. So Paul's on the island doing ministry at this point, And it says, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home, and for three days he entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from a fever and dysentery, and Paul went in to see him. And, after prayer, placed his hands on him, and he healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came, and they were cured. In ministry, there's a little acronym that sometimes I was told to live by. It's called MBWA, Minister by Wandering Around. And in ministering by wandering around, it's literally just the understanding that in our lives, what would change if we stopped looking at the storm around us and we started saying, listen, this storm is taking us to a place that we would have never been and a people we've never met, they wouldn't have been healed or experienced the gospel like this. And so Paul did it by minister, by floating around, but, but, but we get what he was doing. And so in the midst of all of that, I want to know, for us this morning, don't let your circumstances or titles limit you from being effective in the kingdom of God, doing the, the boat work that he has set before us and before you. God used a storm in Paul's life to bring him to an island that needed him that he would have never otherwise have gone to. So what journey are you on right now that God might be saying, lift up your head just a little bit in the storm, and I want you to look at those people around you that need help those people around you who are drowning in the storms. Because I think we need to establish right now as a church, what kind of church are we going to be when there's storms raging around us? There's an old story that goes like this, that, that along the eastern seaboard of the United States, there was, this, there was this bay that was known for a lot of shipwrecks. And in this bay, they, a lot of people from the town that was nearby, they noticed that there were so many people drowning in these shipwrecks. 
And so they established a life-saving station right there so that we could, they could go out and save the people in need and in distress. Well, others in town had seen what was going on, and so they said, hey, I want to be a part of what's going on. I want to be a part of this life-saving station. I want to help those who are drowning in the storm. And so more and more people started getting involved and being a part of this mission of saving lives. And, and as this is happening, they're, they're growing in numbers and, and, and also in affluence, and people started coming in and saying, listen, we're nice. We need to expand the building. So they added on to the building, and they, they bought some couches for people to be able to relax in between storms, and they started adding things into this life-saving station. And things were going great, and more and more people were getting in, and then more opinions started coming in of saying, well, listen, hey, the people that we're saving in these shipwrecks, I mean, we're bringing them in, and we have everything inside, but they're covered in mud and blood and, and water, and they're soaking wet, so let's establish a, a shower head for people to get cleaned up outside, and then we'll bring them in. People said, okay, okay, and it started to expand, and, and slowly but surely, there was a divide in what the life-saving station should be even doing. So it came to a vote. And the members of the life-saving station took a vote, and a majority, overwhelming majority of them chose to say, we're going to honor our heritage, and we'll, we'll talk about what we've done in the past, but we're done serving as a life-saving station. We're now going to be a yacht club. We're going to be a, just, this is an exclusive club. And the minority who had worked there, who chose to continue to save lives, they went down the coast a little bit further, and they established another life-saving station. In fact, that's why they say, they say on the eastern seaboard of the United States, you'll find all these old life-saving stations like this one. This is actually a wedding venue now. It's an established club for weddings. So church, I want to just challenge you this morning. As a church, there is a storm brewing around us. There are so many loved ones around us that are drowning. And so we as a church, are we, are we a nice place to go to? That, hey, don't bring, your, don't bring your problems in here. Clean them up outside. And once, once you kind of clean up your life a little bit, then you can come in. No, 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 no. I want to be a church. I want to be a church that says, listen, I don't care how broken, how gross, how nasty. Bring it in to, and we'll be together. We need to be out saving lives because there is a storm brewing. And Jesus calls us to go out into the storm, to not pray, hey, I don't want the storm anymore. But God, give me wisdom to operate in the storm because we need to help bring people in. Amen. So this morning, we're going to go into song one more time. But I want to do this. I want to bring to the forefront of your mind that person that you know of in your life. And here's the thing, it might even be you. You feel that you're in a storm right now and you feel like you're drowning. And you're God, or maybe you know of someone who's drowning and maybe God could use you to offer hope and life and to be a lighthouse in their life. So in this next song of worship, I want you to pray that out. I want that to be your prayer. Would you just go to God and you can worship, but I want you to just keep that person on your mind and say, God, would you give me the wisdom to plan ahead with them? God, would you give me the wisdom of how to operate in my relationship with them? And that's what I want us to focus on for one week, one person, and how we can step into their storm. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we give you thanks. Lord, we just say thank you that even in the midst of a storm, even in the midst of all of the circumstances in our lives, God, that we can still praise you, that we can call out to you, that we can seek you for wisdom. God, that we can, that you have placed people into our lives 
And the Lord, we can walk with them. So God, I pray that even if we feel that we're in the middle of nowhere, God, would we realize that you've brought us to our own Maltas, to our own places that without your direction, without your guiding, we would have never been and those people would have never experienced the hope in life that you can bring. And so Jesus, as we're focusing in on that one person, or even if we ourselves are drowning, God, would you be with us? Would you guide us this week? God, we want to be hooked on you. But Lord, we have to learn how to operate in this community. And so Lord, I pray that we would be others-minded as well. And so God, we pray all these things together. And all God's people said, amen.